all of you poor single men. Don't ever give up in despair, for there's always a chance in your life to capture the heart of the fair. No matter what may be your age, you always may cut a fine dash. You will suit all the girls to a hair if you've only got a mustache. Oh, mustache, oh, mustache, if you've only got a mustache. Your head may be thick as a block and empty as any football. Oh, your eyes may be green as the grass. Your head just as hard as a wall. You take the advice that I give. You'll soon gain affection and cash. You'll be all of the rage with the girls if you've only got a mustache. Oh, mustache, oh, mustache, if you've only got a mustache. I once was in sorrow and tears because I was jilted, you know. So right down the river I ran to quickly dispose of my woes. A good friend, he gave me advice. And timely prevented the splash. Now I'm home with a wife and ten heirs, and all through a handsome mustache. Oh, mustache, oh, mustache, and all through a handsome mustache. Welcome to the Fur Duplexi Mustache Movie Review Show. In this series, we're going to break down prominent cinematic and small screen facial hairs and let you know our Movember musings that we've been stashing away all year. Where we track the trims. Hype the hair and bash on the trash stashes. Joining me, as always, is my longtime blood bro, short time mo bro, and he's co host today because I know he can handle my bars. It's Dave. Zowie, you've had it, Herman. This is a sort of a bananas swerve today because I selected Coma Sight Unseen because it said Tom Selleck in the credits, and I got about midway through it and realized that Tom Selleck's barely in it oof that'll get you so it was a trick the mustaches were sparse at best so it's, it just didn't seem on theme but it did make for a good coma mustache joke it did but there are three really good mustaches in this one yeah so we uh, were overcorrecting because of that colossal mistake and we've decided that it's no movember without tom Selleck, thomas magnum and for that reason we have elected to do an in-media res episode of Magnum P.I. Solo Flight. Yes, Solo Flight. This episode, Season 7, Episode 15. You can buy it on YouTube. You can buy just one episode of Magnum P.I. And if you're going to just buy any episode of Magnum P.I., why not this one? Why not? Directed by John C. Flynn III, written by Donald P. Belisario, Glenn A. Larson, and Jay Hughley, starring Tom Selleck, John Hillerman, Roger E. Mosley, and Larry Minetti, and I'll tell you this episode, short segments for anyone but Tom Selleck. He's carrying the load. Yeah, he carries it. It felt like that episode of Breaking Bad. The Fly? Yeah, the Fly episode. Is there not a fly in this episode? There certainly is. There is. It features heavily. I feel like Breaking Bad is like, I love that one episode. You know that episode of Magnum P.I.? And then mm-hmm. the other writers are like, season seven, episode 15. Solo, Solo Flight? That's the one? (laughs) So, for introduction, I want to talk about the introduction. The Magnum P.I. intro. And it has Tom Selleck doing, in this order, some driving, Mm -hmm. loading a gun. Yes. Recon sneaking. Of course. Dunking a basketball. As you do. I've been up in here trying to get a motherfucking scholarship. (laughs) Rowing. He does some rowing. Immediately followed by Tom Selleck, pretty cheeky, 
checking out a butt. Holding a lady in the water, checking out a butt. And then mugging at the camera. So Higgins gets his moment. Now, everybody gets a turn in the intro, which I think is great. So Tom Selleck here, he starts applauding his manservant who's doing some conducting, <laughs> to some music he's listening to. John Hillerman really doing it all. Uh, may him and his lady tickler rest in peace. Oh. Well. Higgins has a mustache that's certainly worthy of note, but next to Magnum's seems kind of like a childish endeavor. Yeah, I think that was on purpose also. I think that's thematically. He's, he's trying to look a little bit more distinguished, not like the bad boy. Yes. You just wish there was a little more, you know? It's only a little wisp. Tell you what, his mustache leaves you wanting, and I think that might be the point. Oh, man. <laughs> That's what his Tinder profile says. He does some Tai Chi moves, and he shoots a cannon at Tom Selleck. He plays with a rubber chicken. He makes a popsicle stick bridge. Then it's TC's turn. Roger Mosley having a dang blast. May he rest in peace. And oh, no. may his lip strip be the first thing St. Peter sees at the pearly gates. Oh, man. <laughs> he flies a helicopter. That's rough. He does some photography. <laughs> He does some slow-pitch softball pitching. He looks at spent shells and mugs at the camera. And did I mention he has a mustache? His is pretty great. I felt like saluting at this point. Third mustache in yeah. under one minute. You love to see it. You know, I wasn't sure why we picked this, and then, then I was very sure. So up next is his friend Rick. Larry Minetti. No mustache. That's how you know he's not the trustworthy one. No mustache. He does some army stunts. He does some scuba stunts. He shirtlessly digs a hole. The intro then closed out by a very sexual Tom Selleck, raising his eyebrows, flashing his mouth brow, so as to say, Who wants a mustache ride? And we all do. I do. I do. I do. Who doesn't is the real question. We're bought in. And this theme song, though, like the second it started, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm eight years old again. And dad is watching TV and it's the only TV in the house. So that means I'm watching Magnum P.I., the episode opens up with some light ribbing on Tom Selleck. It goes on a couple times, this joke, about he, he had just had a haircut. His haircut was fine. <laughs> of course it was fine, but <laughs> you can't just go through seven seasons with the same haircut and change and then I'll have it be re remarked upon. And the reason why he got a haircut is because they'd begin shooting Three Men and a Baby just a few weeks after this episode filmed. Well, that's good to know. I, I had no idea why they kept bringing it up. It was important to them. I don't know. Magnum opens with it voiceover. He's waxing poetic about relative success and absolute failure. He's going through a tough time. Somewhere around here, Magnum has just turned 40. I'm almost 40, and I was like, oh, man, I don't look that old, do I? Yeah. I had to look it up because I was like, maybe they're, maybe they're messing with us. He was 42 when they filmed this one. <laughs> you know, roguish good looks and all that, but he just... He, he looked weathered he looked like he'd been out in the sun shooting magnum pi for six years prior to this and they did smoke a lot of cigarettes they they did spend a lot of time in the sun without any sunscreen different lives you know they led but he's watching some kind of korean war movie we find out that magnum was just fired for a case he couldn't solve and is therefore low on money yeah short on some dough he could use some money rick's willing to help Tom Selleck says, you don't even have a mustache. Get the hell out of here. I don't need your boy-faced money. <laughs> I'll pay my own debts. Thank you. We see some omens of planes going down. Not a lot happens, so we'll just sort of get right into the meat of it. He just decides to climb a mountain. He does. Well, he goes to see his friend TC. 
they have baseball a baseball team or a softball team or something. I don't know what the deal is, but the fact is, TC says, did you go to practice? Tom Selleck comes to find out that TC knew he wouldn't show up and had already called a backup in. This is all about Tom Selleck coming to the realization that he isn't everything to himself. He isn't everything to his friends. He's not who he wants to be at this point in his life. He just lost a case. He has no money. He's really just down in the dumps. And as you said, decides, you know what? I better climb a mountain because, I don't know, I'm not doing anything else right. I've been feeling like climbing this mountain for a while. Yeah. I could go visit my mom in Virginia, but that ain't happening. No. Uh, he go running up that hill. The flight from Hawaii to Virginia would be insane. Hawaii to Virginia, that's nuts. Yeah. So he goes up the hill. He starts his soul searching, his sightseeing, his soothsaying, something, something. His other S words. He's getting bitten by a caterpillar on the neck. Dude. That centipede on his neck was wild looking. Centipede. And normally we don't remark on centipedes, only caterpillars that are cultivated lip wise. But uh, this one's (laughs) quite startling. He thinks of David Albertson. He starts to have visions even before the centipede bit him, which I thought was interesting. Played by Norman Fell. And that's the guy who fired him from his job. And even Norman Fell in his mini vision is telling him that he doesn't like his haircut. Pretty wild. So he's sent on this centipede venom trip and he thinks, you know, I could go back, go to a hospital, put off this mountain climbing trip again. But you know what? I think I'm willing to risk it. Yeah, it's not too dangerous. No, it's just a little bit of centipede venom. What's what's a little bit of centipede venom between friends, you know? Maybe the centipede venom is the friends we made along the way. Indeed. So he thinks back to his swimming training with his dad. He decides, yeah, I'm going to climb. Don't care if I'm probably, I've probably been poisoned. He's having these visions of his childhood and his dad going off to Korea. Giving him a cool watch before he goes. This whole episode kind of gives you that into the wild vibe, you know? He's been poisoned, but he still has something he has to prove to himself. You know the one. Scored by Eddie Vedder himself. I've never seen that one. There are no mustaches, so I got nothing to tell you about it. We find out Magnum P.I.'s dad died in Korea. We probably knew that already, but I didn't watch Magnum P.I. At least not religiously. Right, not with any regularity. I would say that the amount of Magnum P.I. I've seen in passing might accumulate to one full-length episode's worth in minutes. This is the first full episode of Magnum P.I. I ever watched. Makes sense that we would just, you know, dig into the archives for this one. Yeah, go into second to last season for it. I will say, at this point, I was I was pretty roped in with the storytelling, the weaving. I was made to feel bad for Magnum P.I. Seeing a young boy having hope for his father returning from war and then being with his mom, finding out that his dad isn't coming home. Mm-hmm. They have some stuff at the funeral and the kid has his dad's watch that he's holding up, the watch that his dad was using when they were doing swimming lessons. Pretty deep stuff for what I thought was basically a procedural cop drama. Especially because they only have 47 minutes to tell this story. Yeah. This isn't a to-be-continued joint. This is one episode. There were some really touching bits in what I expected because I did know a little bit about the centipede venom going in to be a pretty goofy entry. It does have a lot of that goofiness to it because of that reason. We see another scene of another mustached man who's asking to get a progress report from Magnum to give to Mr. Albertson, his boss. They're sort of doing the Magnum PI episode 
of the mind. He's thinking of these things, and he will eventually solve the crime. It's a Sherlock Holmes episode. Sherlock Holmes in a bottle. Instead of heroin, it's centipede venom. Are we sure that Sherlock Holmes didn't ever inject centipede venom? We can't say he didn't, but I don't know that they said he did. Fair enough. It could have been implied. Magnum has crested the mountain. This is why he climbed this mountain in the first place, because he was in the plane with TC doing whatever routine expedition that they go on regularly. And he saw this downed aircraft and thought, you know what? I should climb that mountain someday and see what that's all about. So there's a World War II fighter plane at the top of the mountain. And Magnum says, "I, you got to get in that cockpit, baby. So he does. And that fuselage go a-rockin'. You may or may not come knocking, but what you shouldn't do is fall out of it and let it pin your legs underneath it. Almost comically, like the house on The Wizard of Oz, but backwards. I wanted to see the top half of Tom Selleck (laughs) curl up. Just curl up. (laughs) (laughs) A ruby red mustache just disappears. Yes, TC picks it up, puts it on. It writes itself. I don't know if it does. There are more visions... Higgins is flying a model plane that's blasted out of the sky. Pretty messed up. It wasn't just blasted out of the sky. It was on purpose. Yeah. He was having fun with his model plane. and You find out much later that it was Tom Selleck himself who shot Higgins' model plane out of the air. And I have to assume he probably does a lot of pretty dickish things to his... I mean, when you have a butler, what are you going to do? Yeah, you, I mean, you're not going to not shoot his airplane down. Are you going to not bully that guy? He likes classical music. He has a British accent. His mustache isn't quite as thick as Magnum's. No. There's a hierarchy, right? I mean, his mustache puts him pretty low on the totem pole, I think, in Tom Selleck's eyes. Mm -hmm. And Tom knows. He's got a mirror. He knows where he is on the totem pole. Yeah, of course. And just above Larry Minetti's lack of stash. Yeah. I mean, Higgins is streets ahead of Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I hope he doesn't die of dehydration. That could happen to Tom Selleck in this episode. It, ter- it certainly could have. In fact, Higgins, in his own little fever dream, said, that's what you're going to die from is dehydration, which was pretty grim. Mustaches grow out of your face. Mm. Much like plants, they need to be watered. Too true. And uh, and Tom Selleck isn't being watered. He left his, his canteen is in his book bag. He can't get to it. He's pinned under this plane, by the way. He's talking to himself. He talks to a fly that he all but has committed himself to romantically. He tries to scare (laughs) off a spider. He sees a vision of that mustached man who says he's going to be arrested for embezzlement, embezzling. Embezzletry. I think that's right. So that sort of story is unwinding in in the back of Magnum's mind, which he should probably be focusing on the task at hand, but hey, this is how you pass the time whenever you're trapped under a plane. I think it's just keeping his brain sharp. Is trying to figure out how many legs a fly has. He, at this point, has named the spider Herman after a shark, which I think is a normal sentence to have said. Yeah, that's what happened. He remembers one time whenever his dad's advice helped him or something when he was in the middle of the water and there was a shark circling him. I don't know if this happened. I don't know if this is a bottle episode, y'all, because I don't know what's been shown in seven seasons. So it's possible that... All of these scenes have occurred already. So here's what you have to do. You, the trusty listener. Pause now. Watch every episode of Magnum P.I. up until this one. And then let us know. Thank you. Not every episode. That's ridiculous. Watch six seasons and 15 episodes. And then let us know what we should have known before this episode. What important beats. 
I have a feeling we have a few rabid Magnum PI fans that are just yelling at their podcatcher right now, like, you idiots. Of course you remember whenever the shark circles Thomas Magnum. It happens in season six, episode 12. When he tried to jump over it with the jet ski. I don't know if Magnum PI ever jumped the shark. I think it just ended right when it was supposed to. How many episodes did that bad boy get? 162. Holy. That's a lot of episodes. Dear Lord. Eight seasons. So this is the penultimate season. It lasted from 1980 to May 1st, 1988. I was born in April 1988. I like to think that my birth was the death knell for Magnum P.I. You killed Magnum P.I. I have memories of sitting with Dad watching Magnum P.I. I don't have memories of the episodes necessarily, but... I'm out of context going to tell you what one person on the internet thinks about whether or not Magnum P.I. jumped the shark. Okay. This person says, I believe... Sorry, full credit... This is a post by Kwanzaa on magnum-mania.com in the forum. Okay. With a title, Magnum Jumped the Shark, discuss. And Kwanzaa says, I believe Magnum P.I. jumped the shark with the whole death, no, it was a coma, and he helped Michelle telepathically to avoid the killer's nonsense. Season 7 and 8, while handled pretty well, were an example of jumping the shark in my humble opinion. Bringing in the daughter also counts, as does re-upping, and TC getting back together with the ex and Rick marrying a hooker. Predictable. I love the show, and I know I'm treading on dangerous ground, but let's be honest, our favorite show jumped. What Kwanzaa is dating sounds like shark jumpage. If someone's in a coma and they're telepathically helping someone avoid a killer, I have to imagine adding in any measure of magic into Magnum P.I. But look, check it out, Magnum Mania... They are not having it. Only two people say that, that that they believe that was jumping the shark, and one of them would have to be Kwanzaa himself. Uh, well, actually, sorry. I should say there's four answers to the to the survey. Yes, no, or yes, but I wish they had not. And yes, but I will vote no because I refuse to admit it. Okay. But that's really confusing because... <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Yes, but I will vote no. If they, unless they let you vote twice, 35 people, 85%. Say, no, this isn't jumping a shark. This person says, I vote no for one simple reason. Plausibility. On any other show, this would have been hokey and jumping the shark. Magnum P.I. did it in such a way to make it believable with a reasonable amount of suspension of disbelief. By your definition, Magnum P.I. would have jumped with Max back. But again, they pulled it off. Sorry, no jump. There's a heated community out there. What is Max back? I mean, we're in it now. Max We're back. through Magnum the Rubicon. P.I. Episode 3... Season 5, and in that episode, Magnum is despondent over his loss of his wife, Michelle, his father, Mac McReynolds, and now Diane Dupree. While driving in Honolulu the next day, he sees a man who could be an identical twin for Mac McReynolds. Man, that sounds juicy. Should we start a, a Magnum PI podcast? A PI cast. This user review says one of the best episodes. So let's see. In this review called Perfect Ending... The episode is not as good as other Magnum P.I. episodes, but the ending was spot on. It was moving as anything you will see or read. It is exactly how two good buddies would say bye to one another. Uh, This next person, 1 out of 10, in my opinion, stupid episode, storyline. And let's see. I remember this episode in the ongoing storyline. I thought it was stupid. After Mac is killed, he comes back as an annoying con man. Hate the mustache. Should have left the story the way the episode ended. And let's see. 
Nope, it's a good mustache. (laughs) Sharing it to teams, I assume? The idea is there's a character in this show who's his buddy. His buddy dies, but he sees a guy who looks just like him with a mustache. Okay. (laughs) That's good. I like that. It's good. That's a that's a good story. That's clearly pasted on. That's not a mustache. Yeah, that's it's good. No, it's good. Even fake mustaches are better than no mustache. There's no question. So he's named the Spider Herman after a shark. He remembers a time when there was a shark circling him, and he's treading water like his dad was teaching him. Now he has a memory of Vietnam of a man with a severed femoral artery, shot in the leg. They show like a little blood sploot out of his leg. It's pretty gross. And not in a way that is realistic, maybe, but... It was as realistic as they could do. Because I didn't think the blood on his leg looked that realistic either. Probably. Well, here's the thing. What could they do? What what station was this on? Because this immediately followed by... There's a word choice here. Well, let's just say this. Let's get this out on Front Street. There's an N-word in this episode of Magnum P.I. Holy! I was floored. I did not expect it. So... That wasn't great, but of course it's in the context of... The Viet Cong, which they're bad. We cut back to present day. Magnum's still under the bomber, of course. Perfectly stuck. And there's rain falling on him in such a pattern that suggests to me that someone was holding a garden hose directly over his head. (laughs) You wouldn't even have to pay me to do that. That would be just kind of fun. Hey, hey, Sam. Yeah. This show is on CBS. CBS. Just regular-ass TV. Now, when it aired, I wonder if that scene stuck. I mean, probably. I feel like Magnum P.I. was sort of printing its own money for them, maybe. In in terms of TV, probably the ads were pretty insane. Maybe it was like a super prime time, like it was on at 9 o'clock or whatever. I wouldn't want to be the advertiser that shows up after an N-word is dropped. so tom Selleck sings navy tunes again i'm roped into an episode of a show i've never watched that i couldn't possibly care about and it's following a guy who's pinned down there's a whole movie dedicated to that that james franco's in this one is slightly less problematic considerably fewer hours if you want to watch 127 hours you can save uh 126 and 13 minutes yeah, because <laughs> I assume the movie is in real time, and you can watch just this one episode of Magnum Vi Solo Flight. You know, because he's flying solo, but he's not really flying; he's under a plane. He's just plain stuck. That's a that's a better name for the episode, though, like a more accurate name. <laughs> Night has fallen. Magnum is dreaming. Higgins reminds him that he has to stop his bleeding. It sounds like you wrote a poem. (laughs) (laughs) You look down at his leg, and yeah, he's scooshing down there, baby. He starts talking to the woman painted on the side of the bomber, as there often were women painted on the side of bombers. And he is trying to get the name from the nice lady, and he says, you're you're shy. And he starts taking his belt off. (laughs) 
And I was really worried about... I don't want to say I was worried, because I sort of had a feeling he wasn't going to start masturbating here. You weren't sure, though. I don't know the naval <laughs> techniques that are needed to survive in such a scenario. So, you know, I'm sure there's some practical application there. But anyway, he was taking his belt off to create something of a tourniquet for his leg, which seems like a good way to lose your leg forever. Tourniquet is like point of no return, isn't it? That is better than bleeding out. Well, yeah, of course, but I don't know if you can fall asleep with a tourniquet. No, you shouldn't. No, it, most I mean, like, there's like not. no blood flowing to your leg. We're not doctors, but that sounds bad. I'm not a doctor. I've never had to... I've actually... I did take a first aid class once. <laughs> so he's using his belt as a tourniquet, and it's daytime again. He has a dream. This is where he sees his own death. What a scene. He pictures his three friends to be at his funeral, and he's laid out in his full Detroit Tigers uniform. And then he reenacts the entirety of the movie The Fly in about four minutes. That's something we didn't really remark on. There is a fly in a spider web, and Tom Selleck is very empathetic towards this fly in the spider web because he himself is feeling like he's trapped in a spider web sure to die he's rooting for the fly to get away he's telling the spider you know get the hell out of here he's telling the fly to just stay still because the more you move the more you're stuck and then that's whenever it rains overnight so he wakes up the next day and the fly's not there he at first thinks that means the fly has been eaten but then he thinks no that rain probably shook him loose that fly got away but then the fly is back in the web. That dumb motherfucking fly came right back. Yeah, come on, man. He just got out of there. He makes his uh, impression of the movie The Fly, the original, not the remake. Take that, Jeff Goldblum. Pittsburgh proud. Pittsburgh proud, Jeff Goldblum. God bless you. Class of 1970, West Mifflin North Vikings. <laughs> Thomas Magnum remembers having killed a guy in a Hawaiian shirt. Seems as though he had no choice. I have no frame of reference as to whether or not this has happened in the show. I'm sure he's killed several people by season seven. I have to guess. Now let's do that. How many people did Magnum P.I. kill? Magnum's Kills. It's got its own page on magnumania.com. Of course it does. I should have spent a lot more time on this website. Okay. Now, not an insignificant amount... <laughs> <laughs> he has about now there's an about sign here discounting his vietnam years even during the show magnum dispatched about 50 bad guys nice that's a lot of people 50 that's one person every couple of episodes one of them was dressed as a nun now this is the crazy thing a lot of these tell you exactly what he killed them with this is probably the most important website on the internet today in the episode Tigers Fan, season mm -hmm. 8, episode 4, he gets about about four kills, they have to say. Three plus kills. Yes. About four. Nighttime sneak attack aboard a boat. Um, okay, check it out. This episode contains flashbacks and references to several previous episodes, including flashback scenes of his mom and dad in Treading Water and Home from the Sea, season 4. So it's a bottle episode. I wasn't sure if it was made specifically for this episode to say it was a bottle episode, but it's a bottle episode. So you can stop yelling at your podcatchers now. Yes, we've figured it out. He shoots down Higgins' RC airplane in season four. He's trapped in a lift with Higgins in season seven. He was a 
POW in Vietnam, seasons three, episode one and two. He sings Misty in a karaoke bar in season five, episode 20. And he has a showdown with The Ripper in Death and Taxes, season seven, episode six. And The Ripper is the guy who I just said uh, was in a Hawaiian shirt that he that he kills. Cool. Um, Magnum is, at this point, trying his last-ditch effort. He finds a metal hook-like thin metal wire, not one he could use as leverage, but he could use it potentially as a hook to get a pipe that he sees a little further off. So he hooks the pipe, and he's able to use that leverage with the pipe to free himself. He crawls himself out, and he evidently makes it back. Unshowered. He didn't go to the hospital first either. This is important. His leg is still bleeding with a tourniquet on. That's bad news. I mean, he's got priorities. His priority is to the case, to his work. He makes some phone calls because he solved the big case. The guy who fired him was the guy who was breaking the law after all. He tells Higgins he slipped in the bathtub, and that's why he's all mangled. He said he slipped in the bathtub at his mom's place, which is in Virginia. So then he flew back, still all jacked up. Anyway, then a fly lands on his neck. He smacks it, kills it, and then mugs for the camera. Fiend. Great episode. Great episode. So there's not going to be a Rotten Tomatoes for this one, so we won't be able to get into those follicular particulars today. But we can, however, decide. Out of the five people in this episode, who our heroes are and who our villains are. My hero was Herman. That spider was just ridden the world of flies. Are flies bad? Do they support anything? Maybe. But other bugs do too. What are flies good for? Herman also eats mosquitoes, I assume. So Her- Herman's, my, Herman's my guy. They help pollinate hops and beer, apples and cider, grapes. You need flies, Dave. You need spiders, too. Spiders kill mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are good for nothing. My hero, Magnum P.I. himself. He's facing adversity at its paramount, literally. And he bests it. It's an existential crisis in his situation. He is feeling like he has been absolutely defeated, but lo and behold, he has not been absolutely defeated. Magnum P.I., mustache on lip, big pole in hand, and you decide what I mean by that. He... There's no wrong way to decide that. It's just like eating a Reese's, (laughs) deciding whether I'm talking about his wiener. (laughs) I guess I was kind of ruined by the Bronson episode. I... And kind of disappointed that he didn't take his pants down at all. Like, not at all? That's CBS's fault. Prudes. My villain is going to be the fly, because the fly doesn't have the common sense to realize that his lot had improved whenever he was washed off of the web. He was so drawn to that ding-dang web, they got himself caught again. Dumbass. Stupid. My villain, then, is Higgins. My dude gave the business to Magnum the whole time. He was, like, missed one letter once. No need to roast as heavy as as Higgins was doing. Uncalled for. Higgins advocate. He is trying to make Magnum be the best he can be. But clearly Magnum was having a bad day, and Higgins just kept piling on. True. I'm not saying he's the overarching villain. I'm saying on this episode, Higgins didn't need to be as big a dick as he was. 
Dave, I must ask you a question. Is this episode good because of the mustache? Bad despite the mustache? Or good despite the mustache? Or bad because of the mustache? That will never be my answer. This episode without the mustache isn't worth it. You can't just jump into this one. We're insane for what we've done. I don't know why we did it. We could have started with the first episode, and it would have made just as much sense to the podcast. This seemed funnier, and I don't know if it was. Oh, it definitely was. I would say jumping into this one is insane, unless you just want to see that great mustache, and then I don't care what episode you put on. So here's what I'll say. To say whether or not the mustache is why it's good, it is impossible to divorce the mustache from the episode. Neither of them are good on their own. Yeah. A mustache by itself is just a pile of hair. If you think about it. And I now I just did. And Tom Selleck by himself is with without a mustache is just a pile of skin. <laughs> yeah, I recommend this episode out of context for anyone. <laughs> just anybody? Any old Anybody. I'm gonna start putting it on jump drives and plugging them into people's TVs whenever I go to house parties. <laughs> so that one of these days they're going to accidentally switch to that family photos USB stick and they're going to say, well, what's this video that's called solo flight, uh, solo flight in parentheses, not sex tape. <laughs> and they're going to hit play. How do you not? You gotta. Would your curiosity not be peaked? You're a crazy person. <laughs> I would hit play. Okay, uh, <laughs> well, okay, so here's the full disclosure. I picked this episode specifically because it had a TV Tropes listing, and it was called Mushroom Samba, which I believe is from a Cowboy Bebop episode. So the idea of the centipede venom causing Magnum to trip balls was enough for me to lock it in. It was the right choice. All that being said, great show great podcast good go us we did it good me good you if you really like it and you did check us out tell your friends to check us out you're already checking us out tell your friends to check us out nerdaplexy.com fleshhorse.com anchor.fm slash nerdaplexy you want to write us a ding dang email go on the itunes write an email write a review five stars no need to consider other amounts of stars Five is the only one. Five is the onlyest number you could ever select to review this podcast. And anyway, do so. If you want to reach out to Reed, who once again is not present, but if you want to reach out to him, he's at PGH underscore Reed. Reed underscore Nerdaplexy at Letterboxd. And Dave, our social media Higgins, is at the face of Dave, but he'll also respond to at NerdaplexyPod, which is where we exist. I dig it. I can't wait to hear uh, how you all think about this insane theme we're on. We're going to find out that Magnum PI search engine optimization is at an all-time high. <laughs> I actually think it just got canceled. What we did? No, Magnum PI, the, the new one. This is a hell of a way to find out. I've got kids. Oh, no. Sorry, Sam. It's over. Maybe we can start our own fan-produced Magnum P.I. I'm here for it. Magnum P.I. and McKeesport. Definitely not as 
nice to look at as Magnum PI in Hawaii, but still good. I've heard some people like to, they like the summer here. Summer's in McKeesport. <laughs> as we always do during our Movember episodes, like to leave you with this mustache fact. There are between 10,000 and 20,000 hairs on a man's face. The average mustache has 600. According to Guinness World Records, Ram Singh Chow Han holds the record for the longest mustache, spanning 14 feet long. Christ. Feet. That's ridiculous. I mean, they touch his feet, and then back up, and then back down. He's been growing it since 1982, after a friend with a 7-foot-long mustache suggested it. When taking advice... The last person you should listen to is your friend with a seven-foot-long mustache who suggests you should also grow a really long mustache because I feel like I'm carrying all the weight in this friendship. This thing gets all the ladies. And it's mostly just by accident. It trips them. Hurts like hell. That mustache is the average height of a giraffe. (laughs) That's think about that. Terrible. You could choke a giraffe with that mustache. But don't. We at Nerdoplexy do not endorse choking giraffes. Only one giraffe was injured in the making of this episode <laughs> by a very long mustache. Injured, not killed. Important.